Spiritual warfare is a reality that every Christian deals with, but you don't have to fear it, and you don't have to be controlled by it. You'll truly live above any attack when you apply these five spiritual warfare secrets. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I'm Kyle Winkler, here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life. I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Would love to have you join us live sometime. And hey, I want to give a quick shout out to Pretty 15 on Apple Podcasts. She reviewed this podcast and said, Kyle always delivers the right words of encouragement and faith. God is using his ministry to save lives and to help with defeating the enemy all in God's great name. I am grateful to have been led to this podcast because it continues to encourage, strengthen, and build on my faith. Wow. Well, thanks so much for that review. You know, when you review, I promise you I read them all. And I hear this type of thing so much that people are led to the ministry or accidentally find it or stumble upon it, whether it's through our Shut Up Devil app or a teaching like this or one of my books. I know that it can seem like chance, but trust me, it's not. Obviously, God is the orchestrator. He's behind the scenes, directing our steps, is what the Bible says. But we as a ministry also go to great lengths to ensure that our content is findable when you need it. There's a lot of strategy and cost involved. And you know, it's the end of the year now, and some of you are looking for tax deductions. Well, this ministry is one that you will receive a tax deduction for supporting. And your support will help us continue to be here for people to stumble upon or accidentally find or be led to in their times of need. So please, would you consider a special year-end donation? You may make it at kylewinkler.org donate. Okay, let's talk about my top five spiritual warfare secrets. Secrets to keep the enemy shut up and shut down in your life. Secrets that I learned sometimes by study, sometimes by revelation, and sometimes the hard way. Of course, the hard way makes good stories, but it comes with scars too. So I recommend not learning things the hard way, but most of you are going to do it anyway. So when you do, ask God to turn it into a story that helps somebody else out. That's what I'm doing here, trying to help you through what I've learned. Now, before I get into my five spiritual warfare secrets, let me briefly talk about what I mean by spiritual warfare. If you've read my book, Shut Up Devil, then you know about the parallels between Satan and a lion. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, if you study the prowling lion, like I did before I wrote the book, you know that the way he hunts is to stalk. He prefers to stay camouflaged in his surroundings, unnoticed, until he's ready to attack. And really, that's how the enemy works in our lives, too. He and his team work in very sneaky and often undetected ways, prowling around our everyday lives. But it's no reason to fear. Not when you know the secrets I'm about to share. Spiritual warfare secret number one. This one is foundational to all the other secrets in this message. That's why I'm starting with it. And I call it identity-based warfare. Basically, you have to know who you are in Christ. You've heard the enemy referred to as the accuser, right? Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of our brothers and sisters. It means he brings up evidence to try to make you guilty. 
But maybe you didn't know that the name devil in Greek is diabolos, which means slanderer. And to slander means to make a false statement about someone in order to destroy their reputation. Well, as a Christian, your reputation is called in Christ. And it includes two primary features. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, in Christ you were made new. In verse 21, it says that you were made right. Made new, made right, all because of Jesus. That's you. And that's what the devil wants to put into question. In his accusations and his slander, he uses evidence from the past and the present. Things you did, things you still deal with. All to convince you that you are guilty, that you can't possibly be right with God, you can't possibly be loved by God. God is not with you. God is mad at you. And understand, he's not trying to convince God because God's mind is already made up about you. The Bible says that nothing can separate you from God's love. So the enemy tries to convince you. Because from your beliefs come every emotional and psychological and spiritual battle. And that's pretty much the entire premise of my book, Shut Up Devil. Silencing the ten lies behind every battle you face. Lies are behind your battles. But here's the extra sneaky thing that most don't realize. The devil compounds his work by getting you to believe that with enough effort you can pay for your sin, make up for your mistakes, and achieve a good status before God. Problem is, about the time we think we've done something good, he brings up another way we've fallen short. It's all part of his goal to keep us perpetually stressed and striving and shamed, never actually living in the reality of who we are in Christ. So identity-based warfare, that was a big revelation for me. Because for years, well after I was a Christian, I tried to fix myself and do things to make God happy with me. Ultimately, I tried to prove and achieve something that Jesus already proved and achieved. Get this. Prophesying of Jesus. God said through Isaiah that he wouldn't be angry forever. Prophesying of Jesus. John the Baptist said that he'd come take away the sins of the world. Confirming those prophecies, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that because of Jesus, God reconciled the world back to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So what does this all mean? Well, it's the Bible proof that God isn't mad, which means you don't have to try to do anything to make him happy with you. He's already happy and pleased. Well, back to me. Through the lessons that I learned, then the revelation and the study, I really went deep into my identity in Christ. I'm telling you, it made all the difference for my attitudes and actions and for actually following God's plans and purposes for my life. You know, people make a lot about obedience. Well, you're not going to have any chance of being obedient if you don't know who you are. Because every time you try to step out to do something that God's asked you to do, the devil's going to tell you you can't do it because of this or that. Well, when the devil tells me that, because I know who I am now, he says you can't do this because of this or that, I shake, shake, shake it off. And I keep going. Because I know past regrets and present struggles don't define me. Only God does. And he already defined me. Made new, made right, and that includes you too. So here's the point in a nutshell. And like I said, it's the foundation of the remaining points. Since the enemy can't change God's mind, 
he tries to change your mind. Don't let him. Speaking of changing your mind. This brings us to spiritual warfare secret number two. Repentance with an asterisk. Why do I say with an asterisk? Because most people have heard repentance preached all wrong in a way that's only caused more warfare, not less. Most Christians think of repentance as the means of getting God to change his mind about us, to forgive us, and so on. Usually through snot and tears and a bunch of begging and pleading. We're told to repent from our sins, which tends to mean feel horrible about them, hate yourself because of them, and work real hard not to do them anymore. Problem is, that only causes more failure because it keeps sin and sacrifice on your mind. Look at Hebrews 10.2. The author is speaking of sacrifices outlined by the law. And he says, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped or the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. He goes on in verse 3 to say, but instead those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. So they sacrificed because of their guilt, which reminded them of their sins, which made them feel guilty again, which led them back to sacrifice, which made them feel guilty again. Sin consciousness like this creates a cycle of defeat. When you constantly think of sin, you feel guilty that guilt causes you to want to do something about it. When you try to do something about it, your flesh inevitably fails and you feel guilty again and you try to do something about it and your flesh inevitably fails and you feel guilty again and you try to do something about it and your flesh fails. Around and around it goes. It's the crazy cycle of self-righteousness. It doesn't work. Doing anything, even with good intentions, cannot cleanse you. That's why Jesus came to do it for you. That's why the author of Hebrews goes on to say, that Jesus did what no sacrifices could do, no bulls and goats could do it. He made us holy once and for all by his final sacrifice. So if you think repentance is about trying harder, then you're just going to get stuck in a cycle you can't get out of. So what is it? Repentance is the Greek word metanoia. It's a combination of two words, meta and nous, literally to mean think again or change your mind. Repentance means to align your mind with God's thoughts. And yes, that can be about behaviors and such. You know that God says something isn't good for you. It's good to align your mind with what God says about that. Life just naturally works better when you understand God's designs and plans. But it's also to align your mind with what God says about you. And this goes hand-in-hand hand with identity-based warfare, the secret I just shared. When you fail, rather than meditate on how bad you are, which is where most of us go, then we go into all kinds of sacrifice, you know, doing things to prove to God why he should forgive us. Rather than go there, how about align your mind with the truth that you are already forgiven and you are still loved? That's going to take you out of depending upon the flesh and back into living in the empowerment of the Spirit. And that's real biblical repentance. It's all about depending on Jesus, not your willpower, brain power, or physical power. Okay, spiritual warfare secret number three, 
is to think on these things. This comes from Philippians 4. And in context, Paul's encouraging the Philippians about how to be joyful and peaceful amid difficulties, amid battles and warfare. In verse 7, he talks about how God's peace will guard our heart. Peace is what God gives us. Then in verse 9, he gives a final word, a piece of advice on something to do. He says, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So you see from these verses, the things that Paul says to think on are things of truth and love, basically things relating to God's goodness and his promises. Now, let me talk about how this works regarding spiritual warfare, because I'm not teaching some sort of spiritual mind power thing, whereby your thoughts actually control the devil and get him to do something. No, the devil nor anyone on his team can know your thoughts. They are not omniscient. They're not that powerful. Thinking on positive things works because it reinforces your mind to keep the enemy's lies from influencing you. It basically keeps him out of the rest of you. He'll still talk, he'll still do what he does, but he can't get into you when your mind is reinforced with truth. This also rewires your mind in ways that change your attitudes and actions over time. You see, most of our toxic thought, behavior, and emotional patterns happen because our brains got programmed a certain way by repeated patterns over time. When you experience something or hear something or feel something over and over and over again, pathways in the brain form, which cause you to do things or react automatically. In the positive sense, this is how we learn music and languages. You know, when you play something over and over, your brain learned where the finger needs to go automatically when you see that note. Or you hear a word and you're told what it means over and over and over. Now we don't have to think about what words mean. They just, we just know what they mean, right? That's pathways in the negative sense. When you experience rejection over and over, you'll continue to expect rejection. If you've had a string of relationship failures, You'll react to new relationships with a fear that it'll fail. And that kind of creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if you expect to be rejected, you kind of act weird and then you get rejected. If you expect a relationship is going to fail, you act paranoid and nobody likes to be with somebody that's paranoid for long. So the relationship fails. Well, you break this cycle and you rewire your brain by intentionally thinking on positive things. Which is the same as what the Psalms call meditation. It literally rewires your brain with new pathways so that when you do experience a delay or a frustration, let down an attack, you don't respond in ways that provoke hopelessness, fear, despair, or shame, which only lead to more destructive thoughts, emotions, or behaviors. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul didn't know about the science behind how all this happens, but he knew that it happens. He knew that it works. Hence his advice to fix your thoughts to think on good things. So what does thinking on good things look like? It looks like remembering the truths of who you are and what you have in Christ, despite how you feel, how things look, how things sound, the situations around you. This might be a situation when fake it until you make it is okay. And here's why. 
The Bible says that God has given you a new heart, part of your new identity. Romans 5.5 says that God has placed his love into your new heart. The Bible assures that the joy of the Lord is your strength. As I taught earlier, it says we are forever forgiven. So much about our new identity that we already have. We just need to get our minds to realize it. And as our minds realize it, our flesh starts to react accordingly. So it's not getting what's in your head to your heart, like we often say. It's getting what's in your heart to your head, which trickles down then to affect your mouth and your hands and your feet and the rest of your flesh. Now, there's no law about how to do this. I don't want you to go making one out of this, but I'll share what helps me. I like to take a promise of God through a few questions. What does this mean about me? What does this mean about God? And what does this mean about my situation? Then I kind of combine these reflections into a single statement or a thought. And this is really what meditation is all about. It's not about sitting cross-legged and staring at your navel. It's about thinking through your thoughts. If you have my Think on These Things journal, then you know that this is the process that this journal leads you through. Well, when you do this kind of thing, over time, your mind gets changed from reacting to old expectations and fears to processing things through truth. And there's where the enemy loses so much influence in your life, because when his whispers and shouts don't move you, then really what power does he have? No power. And speaking of the enemy having no power, this brings me to spiritual warfare secret number four. I call it Remember the Parade. It comes from Colossians 2.15. Paul is talking about what Jesus did on the cross. He says, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. If you have the message paraphrase Bible, you'll see that it says he marched them naked through the streets. And that's actually a good translation of the cultural thing that Paul describes in this verse. It's called a triumphal procession. And it was a parade that happened in those days after a country won a military battle. They'd take the enemy leader, strip him of everything, weapons, clothes, and all, and they'd march him in the streets naked to show people that he's no longer a threat. Basically, look, he's got no clothes, he's got no weapons, he can't harm you anymore. And that's how Paul says we should think of the enemy. Because of the cross, he's powerless. The moment of the cross was a spiritual parade that we can look to to remember that the enemy is powerless. Sure, he's still alive. He's still around. But he can't destroy you. He's lost that power. He's been stripped of that power. All he can do is shout and whisper. All he can do is look in here, but he can't touch. And he can't enter. And I have to say that. Because sadly, when it comes to the devil. A lot of Christians are still in fear that they could do something that causes him to get into them, or they could do something, or he could make them do something that causes them to lose their position with God. And that just can't be. For one, as I said, the cross disarmed him. But also the Bible says you're hidden in Christ. It says you're seated with God in heavenly places. It says that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now that's talking about your spirit, not your flesh. But the Bible says your spirit is the real you. Your flesh dies and decays someday. Your spirit 
is what goes to heaven with you. It's the real you that lasts forever. So the devil can't even find the real you to get into the real you to destroy the real you. So rather than getting caught up in paranoia, anxiety, and striving to keep the devil out, or stay in God's good graces, remember how good God's grace is. Remember the parade. The enemy is defeated, and you are set, settled, and sealed in Christ. Okay, if you've been paying attention so far, my four secrets so far have had to do with remembering who God is and who you are. My fifth spiritual warfare secret has to do with what this produces. It's rest. When it comes to spiritual warfare, you surely heard people preach on James 4-7. Maybe you can say it from memory, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I have a few points to make about this verse. First, in context, it's not speaking to Christians. How do I know that? Well, look at the first chapter of James. You'll see that he's writing to Jewish people outside of Jerusalem. In what was called the diaspora, it was when God's people got scattered around the time of the Babylonian exile. Many, yes, in those regions were Christians that he was writing to, but mixed in with them were people who were still skeptics and some who were downright hostile to the gospel. All Jewish, some were Jewish believers in Jesus, others were not. And throughout James's letter, he kind of goes back and forth, sometimes speaking to Jewish believers and sometimes speaking to skeptics and unbelievers. Well, in this case, he's giving an evangelistic appeal to unbelievers, basically saying, submit yourself to what God is trying to tell you, what the devil is keeping you from believing. Resist him, believe in Jesus, and as you draw near to God through Christ, God is going to come into you, draw near to you. And then he goes on and says, purify your hands, you sinners. So while he's not talking to Christians here, there are some things that Christians can get from this. And this might be anecdotal, but it brings up some biblical truths. If you look at the word resist, R-E-S-I-S-T, yeah, you'll notice that two-thirds of the word resist is rest. If you want to press it further, you'll see that inside the word itself, it says resist is rest. If you rearrange the letters, you get that. Like I said, I know this is anecdotal, but it is a biblical truth when it comes to dealing with the enemy. Yes, there's a part you have, and that's mostly to remember who you are and whose you are. All the stuff we went through in the last four points. But the greater part is to rest, to depend on Jesus that he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself, and he'll continue to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And I believe that's one of the greatest truths that we can get from almost the entire Old Testament, certainly the 1,500 or so years of the law. It's that works don't work. Guilt doesn't produce good. Sacrifices don't save. I don't care if it's animal sacrifices, or I don't care if it's sacrificing how much you give, or how much time you spend doing this or that, or how much you fast or whatever. Yes, there are practical things that are helpful. Getting a good night's sleep is one. Eating healthy is another. Continuing to meet with fellow believers. Obviously praying, reading your Bible, all good stuff. But you cannot depend on anything to do with effort or anything to do with your flesh to change you or protect you. 
I don't care how spiritual or good it is. It's God who does the changing and producing and protecting. He's the only one that's able to do it, and it's because he's a good father. In Ephesians 4.23, Paul says that the Spirit renews our attitudes and actions. So it's God's work. Psalm 91.11 says that God sets angels around us to protect us. It's God's work. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says God will finish the work he began in us. God's work. In Hebrews 4.11, the author says, let us do our best to enter that rest. And the rest he's talking about is dependence on Jesus. I'm telling you, the pressure is off. If you can accept that, spiritual warfare becomes a thing of the past. Because all the defeated devil can do today is prowl like a lion and roar like a lion to try to put the pressure back on you, to get you into stress and striving, depending on yourself and forgetting who you are. Resist him by resting in the truth that Jesus accomplished everything that means anything about you. Okay, after a message like this, I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you how I can help you beyond it. The first way is through my book, Shut Up Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. So much of what I taught in this message about the enemy like a lion and the spiritual and scientific influence of the mind, it's all in the book and so much more. In Shut Up Devil, I reveal the sneaky ways the enemy tries to get into your mind to influence your life. I expose the top 10 lies he uses to do it. Then I give you the strategic truth you need to shut him down. You know, Publishers Weekly reviewed this book, and they called it an engaging volume by an insightful storyteller and biblical interpreter. I'm very honored by that review, and I believe that you'll realize why they said it. So get Shut Up Devil wherever books are sold, or I'll sign a copy for you when you get it on my website at kylewinkler.org. Also at kylewinkler.org is this journal that I mentioned, the Think on These Things journal. I designed this journal to take you through the meditation process that I described in secret number three. It begins with a chapter on mind renewal. Then each day for 30 days, it focuses you on a specific truth and guides you to take that truth through those reflection questions that I shared with you. These make great gifts, by the way, and we have a bulk discount if you order five or more. This Think on These Things 30-Day Journal is also available at kylewinkler.org. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you, and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and wherever you get social media. And don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.